Hello and welcome to Cloud Automation Weekly. My name is Thorsten Höger and I'm here to talk about automating your AWS cloud infrastructure. Today I'm joined by Michele Manjopi to talk about infrastructure as code. Michele, welcome to the show. Thank you. For folks uh, who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a bit about who you are and what you do? Um, I am a product manager at Lumingo. I, uh, Lumingo is a company that does uh, cloud native observability and serverless, mostly focused on AWS. And there I am responsible for all three tracing. Distributed tracing is a bit of a pet peeve of mine in the industry for almost 10 years on that. And I take a, a rather extreme view in terms of automation. I, I think that toil is the biggest enemy of getting things uh, correctly monitored. And uh, that is my work. Okay, that sounds perfect. So being a product manager, um, what do you do in the cloud? I do a lot of stuff. The product manager is, uh, is a mix of many things. You're, you're expected to be jack of all trades and master. So on any given day, I find myself consulting custom my product, as well as the technologies that they use around deploy their code. Um, I need to know all the ways that people try to deploy code that needs monitored by Vigo uh, so that they can integrate with that. And there is a amount of that going on in the serverless space. Uh, I need to uh, communicate uh, requirements very effectively to my developers. There are infinitely many ways that you can combine the types of cloud service into your application. And when I want to make sure that something is working or we need a developer development, make Lumigo learn something new, then the quickest way I have to explain what I want is that I take the CDK, I make a serverless application with it, mixing uh, containers of different types, serverless and Lambda, and then I drop it in the lap of my developers and say, this has to work in this and that way. And it works remarkably well because all of a sudden, I actually can provide specifications that not only can be used to, uh, to understand what needs to be done, but also as tests. We can take those CDK projects, putting around there a bit of API calls to see what, uh, what type of data uh, does Omega receive and how it processes it. And we have an entire scenario worked out without having to, to guess like, okay, what do you support? So we support it that support the things that you gave us. It's and really, really helpful. And it sounds perfect. Um, just let me recap. Um, so, so it's about the CDK. Um, for those who don't know what it is, it's a cloud development kit from AWS. It's an infrastructure as code tool to provision infrastructure in your AWS account. And it sounds like a really cool idea to build something using this code and then tell your developer, this is what I want to do, build it, um, deploy it in your account so it's the same in your account and then make it work so that's that's a really cool thing and yeah maybe you can works. elaborate on the benefits versus click offs because I, I think they're obvious but maybe why, why don't you just click it around uh reproducibility is the main um, is the main uh, benefit the fact that you can give a piece of code that is actually easy to understand the, the, the CDK looks imperative. In reality, it's different, but it looks imperative and it's easy to crock. The fact that I, I of all the many languages that uh, the CDK supports, I like TypeScript because uh, it's strongly typed and it gives you know this flavor of strong typing to the cloud, but it really helps you to string together a container that talks with another over ALB. It has a lot of nice facilities driven by the type system to actually help you understand what is possible and what not. In terms of constructs. And then you effectively have a program that you feed into the CDK and it deploys for you all these pieces of infrastructure. You can use it, you can give it to developers. It works not only for specifications, but also for bug reports. Like I tried this and it doesn't work here. You can try it as well. The only thing that really changes in which account it goes, it's very easy to make this sort of test cases, specification self-contained because 
you have effectively all you need to create all types of clusters, databases, populate data, put all types of lambdas, and you get everything working in a matter of minutes. And if it works on my account, it works also on, on the developers. That is like the, the PM way of it works on my machine. <laughs> the best works. Yeah, that sounds interesting. And I can also imagine that it also works for like documentation. So you can also say, hey, we have this new feature. This is how you can create a test setup to try it out. It's um, the uh, the setups is not something that at the moment we we share, but the fact that it's so easy to 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 deploy it gives a very easy way not only for product and development to, for example, capture screenshots, but I can also feed the setup to, for example, marketing, so that they can also create their own screenshots as a tool by deploying that and find you know just the right amount of red on the screen and things mm -hmm. that go wrong. So that they can uh, they can really tell the narrative of the new scenarios and the new technologies we support. It's really powerful. Yeah, I think that that's exactly where the reproducibility comes in. Once uh, between all these departments, and then for marketing, like they create it, they break it so everything goes red, and then they tear it down, and recreate it, and yeah. do the next screenshot for the next story. So they don't have to fix their environment for the next iteration of screenshots, they just build a new one. And it's also the fact that it effectively is something that you can keep in your head. If you're familiar with the various technologies you're stringing together, the CDK has a lot of nice, for example, uh, to define a container image used on ECS or to define a handler for a Python or a Node.js function. Changing it to make the uh, to, to make the data in Lumigo more interesting is a couple of lines of code. I want that function to go right more often. Cool, I'm going to change the, uh, the the random coefficient that I'm saying to it's 200 or 500, and all of a sudden I have more spiky diagrams. Yeah, and you don't have to find the Lambda console and, and, and break the Lambda function in the online editor or whatever, or re-zip something and upload it somewhere. So you just do a redeploy and the change behavior is online and, and you can try it out. So it's and basically reproducing and testing stuff. Yeah, but it's also the, the the kind of, it's not only the fact that it's easy to reproduce, but it's compact. It's a terrace representation of actually very complex application. In a few hundred lines of code, and, and I'm not using the CK only for, for this test, I actually have real serverless applications that I use for my nefarious product management purposes. But effectively, the fact that I can keep 10 different services strung together one after the other in a few hundred lines of code that I need to scroll with my mouse maybe twice to have the overview of the application is really powerful to not only to, to be able to reproduce, but also to be able to modify. It's something like you can wrap your head around. And uh, since CloudFormation is actually powering the CK behind, does a pretty good job of trying to fulfill what you tell it to do. The reality is that after you run your CK project, you have a very high confidence that the system that is deployed behaves like you told it to behave. And that when you when you go around and do click ops in the UI and modify things, after a few days, are you really going to remember where you started adding errors? Are you going to remember how the system that is actually deployed has changed, has deviated from your specification? Yeah, there's no way. No, you aren't. Yeah, totally with you on this point. Yeah, and I can also imagine that like revisiting things like, oh yeah, we have we had this feature last year. Um, does it still work? Let, let's recreate well, the infrastructure it, it, and look at it. Does it still work part is something that I like to think is not really an issue because we have very comprehensive integration tests. Yeah. But the, for example, um, how does the, 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 the test application that they used, for example, to give a webinar, does it still work? 
not only because of yeah. Migo, but also part of AWS. That, that's a great asset. Yeah. Not to mention that, for example, remember, you and I gave a webinar around uh, Lumigo, the launch of ECS. We sat together an hour. We made a, a non-trivial serverless application. We used it on that day. And I kept using it afterwards for a number of different reasons. Instead of having to, to go and click together for half an hour on the AWS console, I type CDK deploy webinar and it worked again. It's like magic. Yeah. And especially if you're like me, are not good at multitasking, I can run CDK deploy and while it deploys, we can continue talking instead of me clicking around somewhere and not talking. And uh, yeah, I, I sorry, I cannot talk because I have to click buttons. <laughs> Plus the output of the console of, of CDK is ni nicely colorful. So it doesn't even look too bad when you put it on screen, right? Yeah, so it's, it's a perfect thing. It's very cool stuff. Um, do you have any other use cases for automation or do you only see it for um, specification testing and things or also for reality? Oh, if, if anything, the, the kind of things that I described are uh, some of the more niche corner cases. It is what happens when you have a product manager that in a previous life was engineer, right? The um, effectively cloud automation and uh, the fact of having um, strongly typed, well-specified, reproducible, understandable, way of deploying complex application is the nothing the, the bread and butter is the, the, the basic bolts of actually getting complex applications to run and to stay running afterwards not to mention that it, I, before joining uh, startups for observability i was working at a very large company in germany and um, there was a, a how to put it tastefully there was a, a special type of dread that you would feel when having to deploy your service to an entirely new region because there were so many things that were manual tasks, potentially involving an email client, that uh, effectively they were foot guns all the way. It would take days of trial and error to, to be able to deploy even well-designed, well-behaved, well-documented services. Not only because of the lack of or the insufficient automation in the deploy process, but also because even the infrastructure under it was not really <laughs> strongly tied. It was not really... Uh, specified clearly. So when deploying a new data center, you may have some peculiarity for a specific region. And this is exactly what happens when you actually do things manually. You introduce deviation. I am a big fan, for example, of the entire GitOps. Some parts of it are a bit, a bit gimmicky, but overall the, the idea is very solid. Effectively, what you want is to be able to have um, declaration of your system and then give it to a piece of infrastructure you trust to make sure that it runs it. It's, uh, it's the only way. Especially with the cross-region, I can also think, uh, th think of disaster recovery strategies. Like you don't need to have your whole infrastructure running in another data center or region for the moment your primary region crashes. Basically, you just need to make sure that your data is replicated and you can spin up all the applications and all the, the infrastructure parts using infrastructure as code the moment you need them, which is hopefully never. Yeah, for example, to, to recreate your infrastructure after, for example, you have a security breach. Are you going to go and debug all the cloud resources? No, you're going to wipe the hell out of your account and start over and hoping that you close all the holes that you left open the first time around. Yeah, it's also a thing. Just recreate everything. So yeah, we had a breach in this, in this AWS account. I don't care. Copy the data, recreate everything in a new AWS account and close it down. That is particularly the case when someone <laughs> puts security tokens on GitHub and now all of a sudden you, you cannot trust anything and anything's going on that account. But if only it takes for you to deploy one is to create a new account in Control Tower and then do a CDK deploy, that's not the worst way to the work. Yeah, so, so it's even a security feature to, to go this route and say, yeah, if we have this kind of credential breach, 
we don't try to find out what happened in this account, but we still might do it for regulatory reasons, but after the fact. So we quarantine this account and look into it. But for recovery, we just spin up a new account, new infrastructure, restore everything from backup, and that's it. It also helps a lot with, uh, with isolation. I'm working with a lot of customers that are deploying the same application in different AWS accounts on behalf of different customers of theirs. And the fact that they can, uh, they can press effectively a button and deploy a new application that is guaranteed to look very similar to all the other ones, I'm setting tenant specific, actually allows them to have a better encapsulation of uh, not only the, the code itself, but also, for example, all the governance, regulatory requirements, uh, access, cost control, you actually can tell the cost per account. So that is a very neat way. You have an account per tenant that you're servicing. In particular, if your application uh, is one of those where you really don't want to mix data for, for different users' application. And you have, you have a lot of nice, uh, nice features out of it. Yeah, that's definitely uh, also one of the best practices. You, you should definitely isolate your tenants in different AWS accounts, if possible, to prevent... If it's just an application having an IAM role that's a little bit too broad and it could access data from another customer that would be the worst case scenario yeah. if it's in another yeah. account it won't happen you, you said the you said the magic keyword i am and now i need to go off a tangent the hardest thing in the cloud that i've ever experienced in my life is permissions dealing with i am i cannot wrap my head around it and the cdk automates that for me i say i want that lambda to push into that SQS queue. I don't need to figure out what is the syntax, what is the policy. I trust the constructs of CDK to set up the minimal amount of permissions for me. It's amazing. Otherwise, you know, for I would say, oh, that's, that's just that's development. I'm going to give all the permissions to everybody. And all of a sudden, I would miss corner cases of what happens if the application tries to do something it's not supposed to do. Does it exactly. show up? Yeah, so, so the, the um, minimum or least privileges are definitely a thing CDK really, really helps by creating these not always least privileged, but really, really, really yeah, small they're, they're permission sets. They're defaults. Yeah, they're really sensible. There are some cases where I say, yeah, it's not perfect, but it's really, really good. And it's way better than what humans do, like, yeah, let it access all buckets. It's incomparably better than what anybody would do. And the permissions is... Another, it's even another magnitude harder in terms of click ops to figure out who can do what. Because the, you, can, you can put permissions in many different directions or many different things to get an overview of that. Yeah, and the hardest part of click ops for IAM is to know what to put into all the fields. I had um, a customer discussion um, yesterday and was telling a security department about AWS IAM. I was telling you, yes, this is, AWS has a lot of services. But AAM is definitely the most complicated one um, of all of AWS's services. It has to do everything for everybody. Yeah, and it has to work. That's, that's the thing. It, it's the, the single most important service that it doesn't have bugs because this is the service that needs to work because it's guaranteeing that nobody is allowed to do things they shouldn't. And, you know, it, it's, a, it, it's a regrettable complexity. If, if you think about it, because due to the to the shared model, security is everybody's job. But if the grammar you use to express who can do what is so complicated to use, you're going to have suboptimal results. The CDK being able to to do pretty good job at reducing who can do what with based on the declarations of what you want to happen is actually effectively a higher level syntax for expressing your entire AIM policy. It's amazing. Yeah, and that's also where cloud automation comes in on, on a different level. 
if you have permission and you have multiple environments and you need to change permissions from your in development, I need a new bucket to be accessed. And then I want this change to be promoted to staging, to QA, to production. If you do this via ClickOps, you will forget one stage or one permission. And in a worst case, some corner case, oh, I forgot this permission and I don't use it every day. I use it at month end. At month end, everything breaks and nobody knows why so, because you forgot a permission. This and, actually brings us all the way back to, to thinking of mutations and what happens when you make uh, humans do boring by clicking around. The fact that you can actually automate that in code takes the human out of the loop, which means that not only what, what you are going to deploy is going to be much closer to what you expected, but also there is an entire category of people that actually need access to production systems far less often. And if that is the case, if you do not need daily to go and deploy things manually, you can trust the CICD for you, then it's more bearable for, for example, your developers to have access to production data only with multi-factor authentication, clicking through uh, SSO and all those type of things that, you know, really put a drag on your day. Because if you want to do what you want is to go and please fix that Lambda function. It's obviously broken. It took five minutes to get there, clicking around, finding your YubiKey, putting it in the computer. Yeah. That is going to slow you down. Yeah, I had this discussion with the security team like, oh, yeah, we still need to figure out the process, how to define which user has which access in production systems and when they log in where and what they do. And it was, no, we don't. They don't have access. What? Yeah, they don't have access. It's only our automation pipeline has access to production. They don't have access to production. So we don't need to define who, uh, which person has which permissions because they don't. Okay, that's easy. Yes. <laughs> that actually puts an additional burden on be able to figure things out without having to poke at it from the inside, which is what what Lubica does. <laughs> yeah, then you need, you need observability because if you yes. don't observe things and if you exactly. cannot log in and look in at things or looking maybe, but changing things, and not touching things, you need something else to get a view into your infrastructure. It's, um, I, I see it even, even more extreme than that. The, um, not only you will have less need of accessing production because it's going not only easier to see where it fails, that is scoping down uh, the part of the infrastructure that is, you don't need to go and, and search through a, a bajillion different logs, but you will also have a way of reproducing the bugs more easily in your local environment. So the need of logging into production is further decreased. If you have a tool that is telling you very clearly what's going on, your Lambda function is exploding because it tries to divide by zero. That's far less things that you need to do poking around in production and an easier time to fix stuff. Very often, our customers are telling us that actually they, they don't need more information than what Lumigo provides. That's troubleshoot. And definitely, I, I, that. I can only um, tell this from my own experience because I'm a Lumigo customer. And yeah, if I have a problem in, in production, I look at the logs, I look at the in events that are coming in, I take the event, put it into my development environment, it behaves the same. Yeah, it's the same, it's the same code, it's the same infrastructure, it's automated. So the same event should have the same result. And I can debug it there and I don't need to touch production to, oh yeah, let's try it again if it works. Yeah, let, but let's do this in a test environment. Effectively, the reproducibility of your environment is a value multiplier for observability. Yeah. It's actually the other way around. Like the more deviation you have between your test environment or development environment from production decreases the value of the insight you get by observing production. But effectively, in either ways, you have increased return on investment and an easier time to fix stuff. Yeah, that's definitely the thing. If they are completely different, I don't care about the behavior in production because it's nowhere near what, what will happen in test. 
But if they are the same and I know what happened in prod, I can replay the same thing in, in, in testing. About testing, um, do you imagine any other ways to use the CDK for, t for testing in, in your niche ways of using the CDK? Yeah, I mean, there is the, uh, the migrant testing of okay, what is going to happen if I do this. Uh, there is the, uh, the integrating it into, into the automated verification of changes. We have very comprehensive tests. Even if we change a tracer, we're going to run all the standard tests ac across all the other components. In, um, in something as complicated as city tracing, sometimes there are rather unexpected side effects in the data collected by client changing the backend. So we run the tests very, very thoroughly. There is the, um, there is also a fact that I can communicate with customers much more effectively. If I say, look, this is how you do things. And instead of having to, for example, to, to add a tracer, if I can give them something, they can run in their own account and then look into the AWS console to see how it works. If they don't rock the, the CDK itself, it's a much more concise way of communicating. Sometimes you have like these moments like you're in a Zoom call and say, no, look, you need to deploy the ECS task, put this into container. And it's all very abstract, maybe for for uh, uh, end users we're speaking with that are, have less development background and more operations background, but they do not know all the technology all the way throughout. Then the case we could tell, look, you take this, you make a CDK deploy, this is how it's supposed to look like. And then they that usually helps them to find the delta between what they did and what they're supposed to. Do. Yeah, that, that sounds really perfect. Yeah. Any other topics you, you, you want to definitely talk about uh, for cloud automation? Ah, uh, yeah. in, in a world with infinite technology, there are effectively entirely different ecosystems to automate that are not, uh, they're not silos. You start the, one of the great things of CDK is that it covers effectively most of the AWS services, all of them, I think with construct level one, so pure cloud formation, and most of the services have a construct level two that will give you the sort of high level grammar of how to combine things together. That actually goes across entirely different families of technologies. For example, uh, Lambda, ICIS with, <laughs> but we are not going to talk about the K word today. We agree. I am, I've gotten to the point in terms of automation where um, if I, I look at CDK and the service doesn't have level two constructs, I get really annoyed. And Athena and QuickSites, I'm looking at you right now. What are you doing? <laughs> Or storage gateway, which is my thing, which is not supported. Yeah, and we had a discussion with, with the CDK team, uh, with the CloudFormation team, and the overarching um, idea was, if it's not in CloudFormation in CDK, it doesn't exist. If, you, if I cannot provision a resource using infrastructure as code, it's just not there. I don't care if it's there. If I cannot prov provision it in an automated way, I cannot use it. So it's not effectively not there. Yeah, those services do not exist from my point of view. If I need to go and click stuff, and then I need to remember three months later what I had to click to, to make them work again. Yeah, sorry, it's a, it's a non-starter. Now, if the documentation how to create something is more text than the infrastructure code needed to create it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, for example, the uh, the ID providers on one of the container runtimes. Like yeah, always. Let's like, not talk about that. But they, yeah. there are these, these sort of, you know, dark, murky corners of the cloud experience where you're saying, God, this is, this is so medieval. Why are we still doing that? Everything's automated. And now I have to click two things to connect it. So why do I need to do it? I mean, it's amazing. I, I still remember the times where you had to, to to mail a jar file to somebody to run it on a version of JBoss, hoping 
that they got the previous email with all the versions of the libraries that had to be there. And they actually, you know, they didn't put, you know, the wrong version of the login library, otherwise it doesn't work anymore. I mean, we, we made strides. It, it, to some extent, it feels almost in general occasionally to pick on, on some things. But on the other at the other end of the uh, at the end of the day, it's also true that because of uh, this increased ease of use, this increased power, we're making more and more complex applications. Now, I do distributed tracing for a living and I love it, uh, but I also find regrettable that now our applications are so complex and not complex in terms of the logic, but complex in terms of how relatively tame logic is spread across tens, hundreds of components that are talking with each other over pretty complex network stacks going through all types of services, when in the past it would have been effectively memory sharing between two classes in the same process, right? So to, to some, it, it feels a bit like, you know, there are the, the harder people are complaining that the softer people took the more dilemma and said, okay, now we can slack. We get always more powerful computers so we can make things that work roughly as fast as before, but you know, shipping more more applications, shipping more code to do roughly the same amount of things. And to some extent, uh, cloud automation enables us to put a lot of complexity into our application. On the one hand, it's good. There is a reason why this complexity is crept in. The, the microservices is effectively a way to, to be able to, to beat, I'm throwing a blank, the, the Conway law. The fact that uh, the architecture of your application resembles the one of your organization. With organizations growing and uh, very complex proposed to the user, you need that distribution. On the other hand, there is a certain effect where people are reading about these amazingly complex applications in the cloud. They say, I really want it myself as well. Even maybe all they, they would have to do is to run a WordPress, get the, the same amount. Yeah, that, that's the thing. If, if, you, if one instance of, of a server can sustain all your work, um, your requests you're getting, put it on one server. It's like, if your data is so small, put it in any database, it doesn't matter. If you don't need different databases, you don't need a database for the correct workload type, put it just in a MySQL database and be happy with it because it will, it will be in RAM. You don't care about a data storage format. So let's make a, a few public service announcements. First of all, you ain't gonna need that. <laughs> Where that is, a large amount of interesting database technologies. Keep it simple and scale vertically before you scale horizontally. And if you're doing Java, please scale vertically much, much before you scale horizontally because those JVMs of yours with one gigabyte of memory are hating themselves. What you should be doing is to keep in two, four gigabytes of memory. There is amazing improvements in garbage collection that have occurred over the past few years. You want heaps of tens of hundreds of gigabytes. Go for it. There is a garbage collection that is really going to work. And that is going to give you much more bang for your bucks in terms of your cloud resources. Exactly. So, and when you then see that you need this hockey stick moment where you really need to scale, then distributor application. And that's exactly where the power comes in. And then you need microservices, you need purpose-built databases, you need all these things, but maybe then and not on the first day. And you don't need, now I'm using the keyword, you don't need a Kubernetes cluster on day one of your application. <laughs> Unless what you want to do is to sell Kubernetes, then you do. Then you do. <laughs> uh, however, this being said, so do not bring 
unnecessary complexity into your application. But even if your application is not particularly complex, automate its deployment and management because you never know when you're required to deploy it again. Maybe it's 3 a.m. in the night and you are groggy as hell and all you want to do is to type CDK deploy application and then go back to sleep after yeah. seeing the lights go green. And again. start with automating. I see so many companies, yeah, we will do the pipeline at the end of the development. No, you don't because in the total lifetime of the application, I would say 80% of the deployments happen during development because you deploy all the time until it works. And when it works, you deploy less frequently. So the most of the deployments happen during the de a development. This is when you want automated automation, not later. <laughs> but, but also the fact, the things that you do later on when the application is already deployed are actually a rather different subset of the stuff that you do to get the application up and running. If you're, I, I promise you, if your deployment requires manual steps, the next time you want to bring it up, some of those manual steps are going to be forgotten or no longer applicable because someone at 3 a.m. in the night went and changed a configuration file on the machine. No one knows. Everybody forgot about it. They forgot it themselves because it was 3 a.m. in the morning. And now you cannot bring your application up and running again. And you're going to pay the price again to debug that issue. Exactly. So let's put it down, automate everything and automate it earlier than later. And if you find a service that you cannot automate, have some very spicy words <laughs> with your account manager. Exactly. So yeah, this is really, really, really great. Um, where can people find out more about you online? I am uh, on uh, Twitter at my uh, at mmanchop. It's mostly shit posting, so I'm not <laughs> sure you may want to do that. My work is uh, visible every day on at uh, Lumigo, and uh, our website is https lumigo.io. It's nice how I said HTTPS like it's 1995 and it's not the default anymore, right? <laughs> I think I carbon dated, dated myself. Uh, if you have applications running on serverless on AWS, give us a try. There's a very generous free tier. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Torsten. Have a nice day, everyone. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Torsten Hugo, and I hope you join me again next time for Cloud Automation Weekly.